Welcome to Not A Christian Podcast. It's not a Christian podcast. It's a podcast that just happens to be Christian. In this podcast, we tell stories, we talk about life, faith, and pretty much anything else you can imagine. Now let's jump into it. Welcome back to the show. It's Not a Christian Podcast, episode 39, right here on Friday, July the 9th. We have a new review on Apple Podcasts for the show this week. It's from listener and friend of the show, Katie, whom I do not have the pleasure of knowing personally, but she left a review, and what she said about Not a Christian Podcast was this. The podcast is great for teens and adults. There's lots of humor and sarcasm. The interaction on social media is great as well, and she accompanied that with a five-star rating. Thank you so much, Katie, for that review. Everything you said reflects kind of the purpose of what I'm trying to do. Great for teens and adults. I want this to be accessible and appropriate, obviously, for everyone to listen to. I hope this show has a little something for everybody. She said also there's a lot of humor and sarcasm, and yes, that is just me being me. If it was anything else, I would be faking it. And finally, she said the interaction on social media is great as well. And that's something that I really try to do. And hopefully if, you know, I guess if you're following me on social media, which I think most people who listen are, uh, we do a lot of polls, a lot of, you know, obviously we've got the tournament going on right now. I bring those polls that we talk about into the show. I try to take every response I get seriously and really take them to heart when I plan for the future of the show and as I'm making the show. So whenever I get reviews like this one from Katie, it means the world to me. It means a lot. It really does. I'm so honored, Katie, that you would say that about the show and give us a five-star rating. Maybe you would like to help out the show just by kind of getting our name out there. So there's two things you can do on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a rating, which is a one through five star. And in my personal opinion, I think we're a five-star show, but you can you rate us accordingly but also when you do the rating you have a chance to leave a review and that's just like what katie did and what several others have done just a few sentences on on why you love not a christian podcast on apple podcast we have 13 five-star ratings so we have we are a five-star podcast over on apple podcasts but only five of those 13 ratings have been accompanied with reviews so if you wouldn't mind also leaving a review it really helps the show And I know on Spotify and some other platforms, you can't leave a review, but there are ways that you can you can help the show basically by being as interactive on those platforms as possible. So you can so if you're on Spotify, you can download, you can subscribe, you can follow, you can save the episode, whatever you can do to interact with the episode. It helps the show out because the way like social media and and all these things are working nowadays is through the algorithm. And it's it's funny because as, as I listen to things online, particularly on YouTube, all these YouTubers are talking about the algorithm. Hey, if you like this, sh- if you like and subscribe and hit that bell, smash that like button, you know, all that junk that they say, it really helps the algorithm. And I guess there is some algorithm out there that whenever the more interactions a show gets or, or a piece of content gets, the more and more that platform will recommend it to people. We do have a new friend of the show. His name is Ryan. He he filled out a bracket for the tournament, which we'll get to here in a bit. So shout out to you, Ryan. Thank you for listening to the show. And when he sent the bracket in, it was a person I'd never met before, someone I didn't know. So I just asked him, hey, how did how did you find out about the show? And he said it was in his Spotify recommended. And based on like social media and stuff, Ryan is not a person that I have any mutual followers with. So something good 
is going on with the algorithm. The algorithm is doing me right, uh, suggesting the show to more people. So the more and more you interact, you save, you download, you like, you follow, subscribe, whichever, on whatever platform you're listening to, and of course, listening to the show, the, the more and more interaction we get, the more and more we pop up on people's recommended. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all about that algorithm. What is the algorithm? Does the algorithm exist? Is there any rhyme, reason, or purpose to the things that get recommended to us on the internet? Does life have meaning, or are we all just pieces of dust floating through the cosmos? I don't know, but I think the algorithm exists, and I think the more you interact with the show in whatever way you can, the more it helps the algorithm. And, of course, one of the ways you can help the show the most that isn't necessarily algorithm-based is the old-fashioned way. Word of mouth. Tell your friends about Not A Christian Podcast. We talk about a variety of things on this show. So if you're trying to talk to your friends about, oh, I don't know, what is the best month of the year? You can say like, oh, I listen to this podcast, and there's this one episode where the podcast host Kyle, the, the podcast king, he goes into a very in-depth analysis, uses a spreadsheet, uses science to determine what the best month is ever, which is May, as we determined in episode three. Maybe you're with your friends, you're trying to figure out, hey, what's the best Thanksgiving dish? What's the worst Christmas song? What's the best fast food item? What is the best worship song? Well, we've done tournaments for all of that, where I didn't decide it, but you, the listener, decided. You guys voted. You put things through these tournaments, and we have definitively determined all of these things. Maybe you're interested in theological topics. Maybe you're talking with your friends about, like, women in ministry. Or, I don't know, the end times, like we're going through right now on the show. And you would say, hey, I'd, my thoughts on this may or may not be developed. I may or may not have opinions, but I listen to this podcast that does have some insights onto this. Maybe you agree with them, maybe you don't, but it's something to think about. So recommend Not A Christian Podcast to your friends. There was this meme I saw online the other day. Ooh, I sounded really old when I said that. On, just online. It was, it was on Instagram, I think. Maybe Twitter. Probably Twitter. But it was, it was one of those surveys, speak, you know, speaking of recommending things to people, it was one of those surveys, it was Windows 10, and one of the questions was on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to recommend Windows 10 to your friends? And this person who posted this meme took a screenshot of their response and it said 0 out of 10, because I need you to know, Windows 10, that normal people don't sit around having conversations with their friends, recommending operating systems to one another. <laughs> That could not be more true, but I know, I know you guys recommend media to each other. You recommend music, you recommend YouTube channels, you recommend podcasts to each other. Make sure your friends know about Not A Christian Podcast. Something else you could do, you could take the Not A Christian Podcast friend of the show survey. What that is, is just a little Google form that I've put together that should take no longer than about 10 minutes to to, to fill out. So if you're listening to the show, just head over to uh, my Instagram and Twitter would be the easiest place to find it. Go to the link in my bio and select Not A Christian Podcast friend of the show survey. And there's just some questions about the podcast, ways to get your feedback. You can fill it out anonymously if you want. So uh, there's no way I can know all the bad things you're saying, or I can't know it's you that are saying that's saying it. Or you can you can choose to, to put your name on there. Also, we're going to have a drawing next week to determine who gets to be a guest on the show. We're just giving away a guest spot on the show. Uh, several of you have indicated, yes, you want to be a guest on the show. You've been entered into that drawing. We're going to announce the winner of that drawing next week on Not A Christian Podcast. Thank you very much. Speaking of the Not A Christian Podcast, friend of the show survey, 
I had one person give feedback, and I'm not sure who it was. I don't remember. It might have even been one of the anonymous surveys. They said, when I asked, what would you like to hear or see more? Well, I guess here, because you don't see things on a podcast, unless I'm painting such a vivid picture of everything that I do that you can imagine it. But I asked you, what would you like to hear more on the show? And, and someone said, we want to hear more from Joel Osteen. And that was, that was a deep cut. On, on the show because way back in episode six I told you guys about the Joel Osteen inspiration cube that I ordered because it came up to me on Facebook as an ad and it said hey you can you can buy this Joel Osteen inspiration cube so my interest was piqued <laughs> it's just what is an inspiration cube and why is Joel Osteen selling it so I went and looked at it and it's basically a little cube speaker that gives you daily affirmations, daily inspirations. It's got like 52 sermons preloaded on here and recorded, so if you ever want to listen to a, a terrible sermon, you can, <laughs> you can listen to it on here. But I looked at it, and it was 40 bucks, and I was like, man, I'd really like to get that to just to, just to talk about it on the, on the podcast. And this was back in probably like October, November. And then I saw a little thing at the bottom, and it was like, hey, if you make a one-time donation to our church, we'll send you the Joel Osteen Inspiration Cube for free. I donated $1 to Joel Osteen's church, and I got this Joel Osteen Inspiration Cube, which is a pretty good deal for me. So I'm pretty sure old Joel lost money on it. Uh, well, I know he had to have lost money on it because it cost him more than a dollar to make this. So I'm basically the Robin Hood of, of podcasters out here, uh, stealing from the rich and giving to no, I'm doing, I'm doing what money can't buy. I'm giving you happiness. Uh, <laughs> happiness and laughter uh, at the expense of Joel Osteen. But someone said they wanted to hear more. And there were a couple of episodes very early on where Joel Osteen's Inspiration Cube was featured on the show. And then I just kind of forgot about it for a long time. This, this Inspiration Cube is also a Bluetooth speaker. It's a decent speaker. It's okay. It's not like it's great. But it actually just sits in my bathroom, and it's the speaker that I listen to when I get ready in the morning. It's because it, it connects to Bluetooth, which is pretty nice. But, you know, you guys wanted it, so let's hear today a little bit from Joel Osteen. There are moments God has already designated to show out in your life. I believe this is one of your moments. You're living in a favor season, a growing season, an acceleration season. You're going to have a new confidence to do things that you couldn't do before. You're going to see your gifts and talents come out in a greater way. Okay, that's enough of that. Uh, so hopefully that helped you grow in your confidence. And uh, gosh, I don't know. this. Why do people fall for this? Why do people listen to Joel Osteen? It's just like this generalized, not even from Scripture... I don't, I don't know. Let's not get started on that. We're not talking about prosperity preachers today. Something I have noticed over the past few months about this cube, which I think is hilarious, is that whenever the battery is low, it doesn't, it doesn't chime, it doesn't blink. It has this voice that comes over. But, and, and here's the thing. Joel Osteen's voice on this, there's hours upon hours. There's like 52 sermons that are probably like 45 minutes each. There's, I think, like 30 daily inspirations. There's like... 400 of like daily affirmations. I don't know what the difference is between an affirmation and inspiration on this thing, but Joel Osteen's voice, there's hours upon hours, probably days worth of audio on this thing. But when the low battery alert comes on, it's, it's, it's a woman's voice. And this woman is, <laughs> she's obviously English was not her first language. Let's just say that. I think she is of the Eastern variety and uh, it's, I'm not going to imitate it because your boy's not trying to get canceled out here. Uh, but 
but I was wondering at first, like, they, there's so much Joel Osteen audio speaking on here. Why couldn't he just come on here and say, there's a low battery, you need to charge? So that's what the thing says. It says, low battery, please charge. And like I said, I'm not trying to get canceled, so I'm not going to imitate an Asian woman who doesn't speak English very well saying that. I'm just not going to do it. Picture it in your head. But And, and I wondered, you know, why why can't couldn't they have just recorded Joel Osteen saying it? And then I realized that it's pretty on brand for Joel Osteen to not want to be the bearer of any news that could be considered even slightly inconvenient. Speaking of terrible preachers, (laughs) I had a dream a few nights ago, and this was honestly one of the most memorable nightmares I've ever had in my whole life. As you guys know, I'm a vocational minister, or maybe you didn't know that, I'm a vocational minister. Uh, I don't preach Sunday sermons regularly, though. I'll, I'll guest preach in churches every now and again. But I have been fortunate because most of my ministry friends that I've known that have had experiences in preaching, especially early on in their experiences in preaching, they have like one or two horror stories of a sermon that went absolutely wrong. In fact, I have a mentor who said that he was preaching like a revival at a church. It was like a college mission trip where they went around and preached revivals at churches. And he had three sermons that he had prepared that he was going to give on three nights. And the sermons were going to be, you know, 25, 30 minutes each. And so he goes up there the first night and he gets through his first sermon a little too quickly. And he says like, okay, I'll just start in on the second sermon. They they won't know. He goes through that one too quick. (laughs) It starts on his third and final sermon that he had prepared. And altogether, he spoke for seven minutes. (laughs) It took him seven minutes to preach three sermons, and then he had to go back and plan for the next two nights what he was going to say. So so a lot of people have, have horror stories when it comes to preaching, uh, especially like the first time or early on in their careers. And, and something that I can honestly say is I've never, and I don't want to sound like uh, big-headed here, I've never, let's just say I've never had a sermon go wrong. I, I haven't had a sermon go like completely off the rails. Let's just say that. I'm not saying every sermon that I preached has been, you know, an absolute banger or anything, but I've never been humiliated from behind a pulpit. <laughs> and part of that is, I think, because of my, I don't know, it's it, it's uh, it's almost to a fault. I overprepare because that's like my worst nightmare is to get up to preach a sermon. People are expecting something good, and it's this like five minute piece of junk, and like that would just be the most embarrassing thing I can imagine. So anyway, I always I always overprepare. And, and it's better to prepare than to underprepare, in my opinion. But I had this dream, and I got invited to speak at a church, and I don't know where this church was. Apparently, I had some connections there. And I show I prepare my sermon, as I always do. I show up the morning of, and I, I'm like, so how many people? Because I, apparently, I knew nothing about this church. I was like, how many people do y'all usually have? And someone in the dream said, oh, about 2,000. And I was like, oh, and you know, 2000 isn't like a, uh, the, there, are, there are much bigger churches than 2000, but I've never spoken or preached in front of 2000 people. So I got a little nervous in the dream and I was, but I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll give it a shot. And so, so in the dream, it comes time to preach my sermon and I get up there and I look around and there are people from all phases of my life. Like, I've got family there. I've got college friends there. They're like people from my high school that are in the crowd. And I, I get really nervous. Like, they, people came from all around to hear me preach this sermon. So, so I start out preaching. And, and I'm, I'm going through my outline that I, I took up there with me. And after about two or three minutes, I get done with the intro that is on the first page of my, my sermon outline. And then I flip to the second page, and it's blank. 
I flip to the third page, the fourth page, the fifth page, they're all blank. I start panicking. And, <laughs> and in real life, if this situation happened, I would just wing it the best that I could. But in the dream, I was just like, y'all, wait a minute. I need to go back to my seat and look for my outline. <laughs> So I left the pulpit, go back to where I was sitting, and it's not there. And I'm like, you know what? I think I left it in this room in the back of the church. Let me let me leave real quick, and I'll come back. So I remember I was in this other room where I'd been before, and I was just like scrambling, trying to find the rest of my outline that wasn't just a bunch of blank pages. And then so I was gone for like 10 minutes, and I come back, and I, <laughs> I look at the congregation, and I'm like, okay, y'all, <laughs> I can't find my outline, and I know I've wasted a lot of your time. <laughs> But I do remember the last illustration that I was going to give. And I remember a verse that I used, and it's in Philippians chapter 2. So everybody turn to Philippians chapter (laughs) 2. So yeah, I'm dreaming about Bible passages. And then, so I'm up there at the pulpit with my Bible, flipping through it. And I'm looking for Philippians. And I know where Philippians is, but it's just not, it's not in my Bible. I'm flipping through and it's just not there. And then I look out in the crowd, I said, hey, has anybody been able to find Philippians in your Bible? Because I can't. And then somebody near the front would like raise their hand. And I, yeah, I have. So I go down and I get their Bible and I take it with me. And it turns out it's the wrong passage. Like it has nothing to do with what I was going to say. And I was like thinking out loud up on the pulpit of this church in front of 2,000 people about like, man, this is not going the way that I expected it to or wanted it to. And then people get up and start leaving. Like this, this sermon is so bad. People are getting up and walking out. And and at first it's like the people that I don't know. And then like the people that I know get up and start leaving. And at this point, I'm just sitting up there in silence, (laughs) trying to figure out (laughs) what the heck I'm doing, trying to find Philippians chapter two. (laughs) And then (laughs) I hear somebody I know in the crowd say to to the person sitting next to him, like, Hey, you want to go get lunch? (laughs) And I just looked at him and said, I'm not done yet. (laughs) And then it was, and then that's, that's about all I remember. And when I woke up, I don't know if I'd ever, if I've ever been more relieved about anything in my whole life. Oh my gosh. Okay. So just, (laughs) I sat down to record this part of the show and I, I was plugging along, you know, got, got through like the review got into kind of some of the reasons why I choose the eschatological position that I choose. Got 13 minutes in, 13 minutes into the recording, looked down and and realized my mic is not connected to my computer. So it was picking it up through the the mic on the laptop. So I listened back to it. I was like, oh, maybe it'll be okay. Like maybe it'll be decent. Uh, But it basically sounded like I was talking into a, an aluminum can. (laughs) So uh, we'll, we'll, just say I got a good practice run on this segment. Got 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 a good start, uh, but hey, we're we're gonna try this again. Gonna re-record that. So uh, <laughs> here we go. We're we're talking about eschatology again. And if you haven't already uh, listened to the previous episodes on eschatology, uh, 34, 35, 36, and thirty-seven, I would highly recommend that you do that before listening to this, because we are going to use some words and some terms and refer back to some things that that we talked about in those episodes, and it would be probably just highly beneficial for you. You'd probably get more out of this episode if you listen to those first. Uh, so 
just just as a quick review for those of you who who have been here, episode thirty four we talked about premillennialism. Premillennialism states that Jesus will come back before the one thousand year reign, and then when he comes back, he will set up that one thousand year reign, and he will bring an end to all things at the end of that literal one thousand years. Postmillennialism says that Christ will return after a long period of blessing and prosperity on earth for the church, and that things are getting better and will continually get better until that happens. It will begin at a time in history that Jesus will come back, and it will be most likely a figurative reign of Christ of a thousand years. And finally, we have amillennialism, and this states that the, the millennium referred to in Revelation chapter 20 which is where all three of these positions get their idea of this millennium. This millennium that happens in Revelation chapter 20 is not a literal 1,000 years, but is a symbolic depiction of his reign now. This 1,000 years referred to in Revelation chapter 20 is happening right now. Believers are currently reigning with Jesus as he rules over the cosmos. As he is now king, we are currently reigning with him. And when Jesus returns, he will immediately bring about the new heavens and the new earth. So that's just a short review. Like I said, uh, go back and listen to the previous episodes if you need more detail than that. Okay, I just took like a 30-minute break because someone in this dang apartment complex was playing music. You probably heard it towards like the end of what we were just doing, the end of that like review session. So I guess between that and the, the, the mic not being plugged in for 13 minutes when I was recording... This is, Satan doesn't want you to hear this episode. Satan does not want this episode to go out on the airwaves because it's true. And he's, he's trying to, to fool us. He's, he's trying to leave us in our deception and in our ignorance, but we're not going to let it happen. We're back. The music is stopped. The mic is plugged in. We're good to go. So where were we? We just did the review, right? The review of the different episodes that we've done. Then we answered the question, is, is the rapture biblical? We, we came to the conclusion on the show that it well in my opinion the rapture is is not biblical it's not based in scripture uh so anyway that kind of leads us into today's segment about how i chose amillennialism as my preferred eschatology and why is that and it's 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 really interesting because uh premillennialism and kind of rapture theology wasn't really much of a thing until like the 171800s when a guy named J.N. Darby kind of read the Bible, and, and, and we talked about the dispensations in premillennialism, the seven dispensations. He kind of read that and drew those out uh, previously. And what premillennialism has done in some cases is that it has conflated like the state of Israel, like the nation of Israel, with God's promises. So back in the day, the Pharisees that, you know, that were in you know, Jesus' time they were expecting the rulership of the Messiah whenever he came, whoever he was, to be like this materialistic, physical kingdom. They expected it to be regal and governmental. They expected it to be physical. They, they expected Jesus to literally wear a crown and to rule over the nations. And then Jesus said in John 18, 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So that's why, or a big reason why they rejected Jesus is because he didn't fit the bill of what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be. And what premillennialism has done, particularly dispensationalism, as it kind of purports the idea of this literal 1,000-year reign, it kind of gives in to what the early Pharisees wanted. They wanted an earthly kingdom. And Jesus rejected that earthly kingdom, and instead of taking it, he decided to instead go to the cross. 
So Jesus, he said, you know, my, my kingdom is not of this world. He was setting up the spiritual kingdom, not a political one. But however, premillennialism kind of boasts that Jesus will come and, and set up this political, physical kingdom. And, and really, that's just not in line with what Scripture says about what things will be like when Jesus does come back. And so since this idea isn't particularly biblical in, in kind of the, the analysis that we've done so far, is that if, if it isn't necessarily true, and if it didn't even come about until pretty recently in history, in, in the grand scheme of things, why is it so popular? Well, there's this guy back in the 1800s. His name was Cyrus Schofield. And a uh, pretty cool name, not going to lie. Cyrus Schofield. And this dude published a study Bible where he had the words of Scripture and he had his words right alongside it. And it was very much a premillennial, dispensational view of the rapture, the end times, this literal 1,000-year reign, this seven-year tribulation in the midst of all of it. And to put it simply, it wasn't really done all that well. There are over 130 instances of the kingdom of God being mentioned in the New Testament, and he basically ignored the vast majority of them. So regardless of, of whether it was a good piece of scholarship or not, it got really popular. And this study Bible, it was the first study Bible really to exist, got in the hands of a lot of people. And that's how this dispensational premillennialism really took root in the United States. And it's why we now have things like, you know, the Left Behind series. It's why we have churches showing videos of this supposed rapture to try to scare people into making a decision to, to be a Christian. And it's kind of why we're in a position now to where this premillennial view is the only view that a lot of people, a lot of Americans have only submitted to because it's the only idea they've ever really been presented with and never really considered there could be another way or other ways of thinking. And when it comes to the second coming of Jesus, it's important, obviously, it's mentioned in Scripture over and over again, both in the Old and the New Testament. And the second coming is er important to the early church because if you look at things like the Apostles' Creed, what do they emphasize? The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I have landed pretty firmly in the amillennial camp. You know, I do believe that the, the thousand year reign in, in Revelation chapter 20, I don't think that's talking about a literal 1,000 years. I believe that we're now living in that reign of Jesus because of passages like Colossians 1 that and, and all throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, Christ is enthroned. Christ is ruling. God is in charge of the cosmos. He is in charge of the earth, no matter how chaotic things seem to be. So I've, I've kind of firmly planted myself in the amillennial camp, uh, not a fan of premillennialism. And that's kind of, I didn't do this on purpose, but really as, as I'm going to go through the rest of this episode, that's kind of what the, what my views kind of run up against. And at the very end, I'll kind of talk about postmillennialism. And if you know what that is, we'll, we'll kind of make that a brief conversation. But I guess one of the first, uh, reasons why I think amillennialism is the way to go is because these Old Testament promises are not to be fulfilled in restoring the nation of Israel to be an earthly kingdom. You know, we hear that a lot of, about how when Israel does this, that's when the end times will come. Or when the end times come, the nation of Israel will be upheld. 
Galatians 3.16, um, and then again in verse 29 of Galatians 3, they refer to Abraham's offspring, Abraham from the book of Genesis, of course. They refer to Abraham's offspring as anyone who is in Christ. And then in verse 29, it says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the way that we're heirs to the kingdom the way that we're going to be a part of this new kingdom, this new heaven, and this new earth that, that Jesus came to set up and that he's coming back to, to inaugurate, the way we're in that is not through being in the nation of Israel. It's not through being a literal Israelite. It's not through literally living in the nation of Israel. It's through being an heir with Christ. And, and a lot of premillennials will, will say the, the opposite, or not necessarily the opposite of that, but they'll say that that, that promise also belongs to the physical nation of Israel. Uh, next, next reason why I'm, I'm planted in the amillennial camp is that this literal 1,000-year reign is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. Uh, a figurative reign of a 1,000 years isn't really even mentioned in the Old Testament, nor is it mentioned in the New Testament outside of Revelation chapter 20. In fact, anytime the, the period of a 1,000 years or just the number 1,000 appears in Scripture, it, it happens in Ecclesiastes, it happens in the Psalms, it happens in a, in a bunch of different places. It's never really meant to be taken literally. It's meant to be taken symbolically for just meaning a lot or a bunch, a long period of time, a large amount of something. And so why, when, when we go throughout the entirety of the Bible, do we take that literal, or sorry, that, that 1,000 years and say like, okay, yeah, that can be figurative, that can be figurative. And then when we get to Revelation chapter 20, we would say that it has to be a literal 1,000 years. Isaiah 65 and 66, they both focus on the coming of the Messiah. And when they do that, they focus on the new heavens and the new earth. They don't really mention an earthly kingdom that's going to happen and last for any amount of time. It focuses on when the Messiah returns. And this is Old Testament prophecy, keep in mind. When the Messiah returns, it's not going to be an earthly kingdom. It's going to be an establishment of a new kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth. The next reason why I'm amillennial, uh, we're, we're going to kind of tie together a few biblical passages here. So if you have a Bible with you, once again, if you're in a position where you can do that, uh, go ahead and do it. Pull it out. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. And this is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah uh, about the, the day of the Lord, the day the Lord comes back and makes all things new. It reads this, Isaiah 25, 6, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And remember this part, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And then there's Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. It says, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? And then Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 52 through 55, he kind of combines those two towards the end of that passage. Starting in verse 52, it says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So Paul there, he says basically whenever the, the end comes, whenever Christ returns, whenever things are changed, when, the, when our perishable bodies become imperishable, when our mortal bodies become immortal, that's when these prophecies will be realized. That's when they will be fulfilled. So physical death, mortality, and perishability, they say in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and that's once again, Remember the, the, the rapture episode. These things are not to be taken literally, these twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. They're to be taken as, as a theophany of whenever in the Old Testament God showed himself, it was always associated with a trumpet blast. So kind of a paraphrase of that, if you will. In a moment, in an instant, when God shows himself, when Jesus returns, the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. And then the part about perishable, imperishable, mortal, immortal, etc. So in that instant, as the Bible, it says it twice. It says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, physical death will end when Christ returns. And then what, is, what does a premillennial view say? A premillennial view says, if you remember, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to start this physical, earthly, 1,000-year reign. And, and during this reign of Jesus, there's going to be a lot of suffering going on. There are going to be people being born and living and dying. It's going to be a place without Christians, without the church. So you can imagine it'll be a pretty chaotic place. There will be a few people, according to premillennialism, who, who have the opportunity to come to know Christ in that time. However, it's, it's, it's not going to be a good time for people on the earth. So, so in light of those three passages, two of them prophecy from Isaiah and Hosea, and then as, as Paul summarizes those things in first corinthians he says these prophecies will be fulfilled in an instant when jesus comes back death will be no more so how could it be that when jesus comes back and sets up this earthly kingdom death is still going to exist for a thousand more years it doesn't make sense when you line it up with the rest of scripture now let's look at second peter chapter 3 starting in verse 8 it says but but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, as a thousand years as to one day. So once again, that 1,000 years there isn't meant to be taken literally, and I don't think anybody would really attest that it is. And even the one day isn't to be taken literally. It's just, he's just trying to say, large amount of time, short amount of time. So why in Revelation chapter 20, do we have to take it literally? I don't know. I don't think there's a really a good answer for that. And in verse 9, sorry, we're, we, we, got on, we got off track there, but, but we're, we're back now. Uh, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then starting in verse 11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So this, this idea of new heavens and new earth that are going to be inaugurated at the time of, of Christ's second coming. And according to a premillennial perspective, when Jesus comes back, once again, there's going to be that thousand-year period, and then the new heavens and the new earth are going to come. But in, in, in verse 10 of, of 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up, and, and all these works are going to be exposed. And, and here's the thing. Once again, we just talked about this. During that 1,000 years, it's not going to be a good time for humanity. 
it's going to be chaos. It's going to be a time of, of lot, like rampant wickedness, of, of judgment. Christ is going to be uh, in, 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 on a throne dealing with all that evil. It's going to be pretty chaotic. And it's pretty safe to say that during that 1,000-year reign, it's going to be a time of unrighteousness dwelling on this earth. It's going to be chaos. People are going to be living in rebellion to God. Very few people will be coming to Christ according to a premillennial uh, perspective. But the Bible tells us, the, the scripture in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 13, it says, According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So this passage tells us two things. That when Jesus comes back, that's when the new heaven and the new earth will be inaugurated. It's going to happen instantaneously. And secondly, he says, as soon as Jesus comes back, it's going to be a time in which righteousness dwells on this earth. That righteousness isn't going to dwell on this earth during this supposed thousand-year reign. It makes no sense in, in, in line with, with Scripture, with, with the entirety of Scripture. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. We won't read that whole thing, but basically in that passage, Paul says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So when he talks about this, you know, this flesh and blood, it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Then how is the kingdom of God going to be dwelling among flesh and blood for a period of 1,000 years? How can there be an earthly kingdom of 1,000 years after the return of Jesus if flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? So those are just a few, uh, you know, if we, if we stop just abusing these, you know, passages in, in, the, in Revelation chapter 20 or, or the entirety of Revelation or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 or whichever, it's pretty easy to see that, that those views that, you know, we, we can do these like biblical gymnastics, you know, we can bend over backwards trying to make these things fit. And I suppose that they might could make sense if you do enough twisting and turning. But when you line those up with, with the rest of scripture, like a lot of these scriptures that we just read, You'll see that there's a much larger case for this this instantaneous, uh, you know, coming of Christ, judgment of the living and the dead, and immediately things are made new. Uh, not going to be this thousand year reign that's only mentioned once, and we have no reason to believe that it's it's a literal one thousand years. And speaking of you know scripture, amillennialism, in my thinking, in my in all of my study, I've, I've seen it. it, it helps us to make the most sense of the book of Revelation. In a previous episode, we talked about progressive parallelism. And basically what that was, if, if you've forgotten, is that the book, is that that being played out in Revelation is basically the book of Revelation tells the same story seven different times, right? So you have chapters one through three that are a certain section. You have four, I believe, through six that are another section. And basically they're telling the same story just with different words. So it's not like this chronological reading of the book of Revelation. It's not uh, each chapter of Revelation is, is chronologically in order, but basically... It's telling the same thing over and over again. So instead of, of kind of reading that scripture chronologically, instead of concocting this convoluted timeline, it makes more sense that the book is simply, once again, restating the same thing in several different ways. So a way that that plays out is Revelation chapter 19 doesn't necessarily chronologically precede Revelation chapter 20. These two chapters are kind of telling the same story, just in different ways ways. And once again, if, if you haven't listened to the Amillennial episode, go back and listen. We talk about it more in detail there. So if we read Revelation in chronological sequence, as a premillennialist probably would, or assuredly would, here's, here's something, here's an inconsistency in that method. We'll look at Revelation 16, 19, and 20. So obviously if you're reading chronologically, Revelation 16 comes first. And in Revelation 16, 
It talks about these demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. So basically Satan's powers are going out to the kings of these nations. The nations are being deceived into following Satan and rebelling against God. Okay, then you have Revelation chapter 19, which attests in verse 20 to a beast being captured and the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Okay, so we've got this chronological reading of the book of Revelation. Verse 16, the nations are deceived by Satan. Verse 19, Christ comes back and defeats those evil nations that have been deceived. They have been destroyed by Jesus. Okay, and then in Revelation 20, it says Satan is bound to prevent him from deceiving the nations. That is, the nations that have already been deceived by Satan. The nations that have already been destroyed by Jesus at his return. So uh, you can't read this like it's a chronological book because it's, it's, I don't think it is. Why would Satan need to be bound in order to prevent him from deceiving nations that have already been deceived and destroyed? Uh, it, it makes no sense. It would be like putting your seatbelt on after a car wreck. You know, it just, it just doesn't do any good. So, so this, this progressive parallelism is, is certainly I think the most logical and the most academic and, and the, the best way to read the book of Revelation. So premillennialism will say because of that, because of the chronological reading of the book of Revelation, there are two wars, one in Revelation chapter 19, one in Revelation chapter 20. And there are two separate wars that are separated by a period of a thousand years. However, the Greek phrase in the Bible refers to them both as the war, indicating that they are the same war, not two different wars. Once again, it's progressive parallelism. It's the same war being commented on two separate ways. And when you ask for an explicit Bible passage for this 1,000-year physical kingdom, a premillennial will go to Revelation chapter 20, and they won't go anywhere else because it, the, the evidence for it doesn't exist anywhere else. And we see that, that as we read Revelation chapter 20, as we kind of talked about these things, that's not necessarily the case. That's not the case at all. You can't just look at this clear cut and say like, yes, this is our, our case for a 1,000 year kingdom. And in premillennialism, it will say that there are going to be two judgments. Basically, uh, when the rapture happens, all the living who know Christ and all those who have died who have known Christ will be taken up to judgment. Then you're going to have this time of tribulation and then you're going to have this 1,000 year reign. And at the end of that 1,000 year reign, we're going to have all the wicked people be judged. And once again, this is just kind of a, a way of doing like hermeneutical biblical backflips to, to try to make Revelation say something that it's not. Because when we line it up with the rest of scripture, look at Acts chapter 24, verse 15. It says, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. A resurrection, one resurrection of the just and the unjust at the same time. Look at John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. It says, All who are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forward. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So once again, this judgment is going to be a singular event. There's not going to be a thousand years in between these two stages of judgment. And according to a premillennial perspective, there will be a judgment of the righteous, those who are alive, and those who are dead. After the seven-year tribulation and the 1,000-year reign, he will resurrect the wicked to judge them. And that's just, once again, we don't need to misinterpret the book of Revelation when there are several other places in Scripture that are clear on this. Let's look at Luke chapter 17, verses 28 through 30. It says, Likewise, 
Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It's simultaneous. One final reason, and this is really one of the biggest reasons why, as I've been kind of working out eschatology, this is one of the biggest reasons why I cannot accept premillennialism. And the reason is this, because premillennialism will say that there has to be this time of tribulation, right? There has to be a time of, of vast suffering on earth. And here's the thing. If, if you only look at your own life, if you only look at your own circumstances and judge the world, judge the rest of the world based on what your life is like, that's nearsighted, it's narrow-minded, it's self-centered, it's selfish. So as we talk about like this time of tribulation, like obviously things haven't, you know, hit the fan yet. You know, things are obviously not bad. We're not being killed for our faith. We're not being greatly persecuted. Well, I would invite you to to look beyond the United States of America because the United States of America very has very little to do with God's plan, has very little to do with how these things are going to play out. Look at places across the world. Look at China where people are being imprisoned for their faith. People are being oppressed for their faith. Look in the Middle East and in parts of Africa where Christians are being martyred. Christians are being killed for their faith. So if you look only at a United States perspective and say like, you know what? Things are pretty good for us. We're not being killed. We're not being thrown in prison for our faith. We're not being tortured for our faith. So we're obviously not in a time of tribulation. How selfish is that? Like really, how self-centered, how narrow-minded is that? That where you wouldn't look across the world and, and, and see thousands upon thousands of brothers and sisters dying, thousands being thrown into prison, thousands of people having to, to meet underground at risk of being caught so they can avoid things like imprisonment and torture and death. And to say that we're not in a time of tribulation now, it's, it's baffling to me that, that we could be so focused just on ourselves that, that we could be so focused on just, that we could just forget about what's going on in the majority of the world. So those are the reasons why I can't be premillennial. It just, it doesn't make any sense, both biblically, logically. I just, I just can't be premillennial. Now look at, let's look at postmillennialism just for, just for a minute. So if, in case you don't remember, basically a postmillennial made the case that the world is getting better, the gospel is winning. And I do agree that the gospel is going forth in the world. The gospel is having victories every day. Once again, in these countries, even the countries where people are being persecuted, for whatever reason, the gospel is also exploding in those countries. There are people coming to Christ by the thousands all across the world. The gospel is advancing. The gospel is being made known. But once again, the postmillennials view that, that the millennium will start at some point in time, as opposed to amillennialism, which says we are now in the millennium. I do agree to a certain degree that the world is getting better. Uh, obviously, science and technology, you know, people are living longer now uh, than we were in the past. You know, there, there are diseases that were once like wiping out humanity that really are irrelevant. So like the smallpox or like the common flu uh, aren't nearly as dangerous as they used to be. However, as I, as, as I look at post-millennialism, the, the scriptural evidence just isn't there for me. It's kind of based on observation of, of what's going on around us. And also at the same time, you can point to all these things and say like, yeah, the world is getting better, but there are also a lot of ways in which the world may be getting worse. And I just don't think there's enough scriptural evidence to say like, yeah, I'm going to be post-millennial. Um, I don't think there's, and once again, the millennial reign according to a post-millennial it's kind of a middle ground between premillennial and all millennial 
he basically says that it's going to start at a point in history. We are not yet in the millennial reign, which I do believe we are because I'm all millennial. But a post-millennial would say that it's going to start at some point in time. There's going to be a long time of prosperity, and then at the end, Jesus will come. And I just don't see enough scriptural evidence for that. That's why I fall where I do. I know we covered a lot over these past few weeks. We're not done with our eschatology series yet. I've got a few more things that I'd like to talk about. Not really sure exactly what that's going to look like uh, in the coming weeks, but I think we've got probably about four more weeks of this. So uh, unless you guys are getting tired of it, if you're getting tired of it, don't want to hear it anymore, just let me know and, and we can kind of wrap it up sooner. Uh, but for now, let's go ahead and transition to the closing. Before we wrap it up, I'm just going to give you guys a brief tournament update because we are currently in the midst of our summer tournament, the fast food edition. We're trying to determine the best fast food item in existence. And we finished up the round of 64 voting earlier this week. I've posted the updated bracket on social media, so go take a look at that. If you're interested in who won those first round matchups, Round of 32 voting will take place this Sunday evening. Sweet 16 voting will take place that Tuesday. Elite 8 voting will be that Thursday. And then the Final Four and Championship will be the next week. So we'll get to that soon. So there's going to be a lot that happens from this episode to next episode. But I just wanted to give you guys some updates, on, particularly on the bracket challenge. I had 9 people and my bracket makes 10. 10 brackets entered into the challenge. And the, the prizes are anyone who beats me will win a Not A Christian Podcast sticker. And whoever is the overall winner will win a $25 gift card to the fast food restaurant of their choice. So, so a lot on the line. I made some predictions. It was very scientific, very methodical how I did this. But basically, I predicted Ryan will win first place, Ty will win second, I'll get third, Fourth place will be Haley. Fifth place will be Hunter. Sixth place will be Kelsey. Seventh place, Eli. Eighth place, Chad. Ninth place, Danielle. Tenth place, Nate. So if you guys are listening, there's that's how I think it'll go. I posted this on social media the other day. And the the first round uh, was, was kind to some people and not very kind to some others. So we've got Kelsey, who is the back-to-back bracket challenge champion on Not A Christian Podcast. She's in last place. Nate won the Thanksgiving tournament, and he's been right at the top in every other one. But he's in second to last place. Ty's in first. Eli's in second. Uh, tied with Haley for second, actually. Uh, and then Chad's in fourth place. Uh, Chad finished dead last in the March Madness Worship Edition tournament. So Chad's Chad's moving on up in this world. Uh, so so yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff unfolding over there in the tournament. I'm, I'm doing some more in-depth analysis on the brackets. I've posted all that on social media. So if you made a bracket and you haven't seen that already, go to Instagram or Facebook and, and you can see the breakdown of stuff. Uh, the most decisive win in the round of 64, the two-seed Whataburger defeated the 15-seed filet fish It took 88% of the vote. The closest win was the fourth-seed McDonald's Hash Browns over the 13th-seed the Subway Cookie. Uh, the Hash Browns took that by one vote, which came out to 50.3% of the vote. We almost had a tie there. There were a total of nine upsets in the first round out of the 32 matchups. Nine of them were upsets. And we had a 16-seed win. We had the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich. The 16-seed beat McDonald's chicken nuggets, the one-seed. So McNuggets are no longer in this tournament. They have gone down. So crazy stuff happening over there in the tournament. You guys, I love these tournaments. These tournaments are hands down. Well, I don't know. The theological deep dives are pretty fun. But these tournaments are, are really fun. 
Uh, and I think the the most fun part is the bracket challenge. Just when, when you guys make brackets, I love analyzing the brackets. I love looking at the brackets. I love making predictions. Uh, so I don't know, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. So and I think some crazy stuff, some some real wild stuff could happen later on in this bracket. Uh, won't talk about it every week from now till the end, but uh, the end is just in a couple weeks. I think. I think episode forty one. We're gonna announce the winner of the the what's the best fast food item. We're gonna announce the winner of the bracket challenge. Who's gonna win the prizes and whatnot? You don't want to miss any of that. And one more thing I want to do before we leave today. I want to give you my recommendation of the week that like three or four weeks ago I said I was going to do every week, but we just haven't had time in the past few episodes to to give a recommendation. And what I'm going to do here is obviously I recommend music to you guys a bunch. I'm going to try to branch out, do like TV shows, YouTube channels, maybe podcasts, products I'm using. Maybe I'll find some like soap that I really like. I don't know, but I'm just going to give you a recommendation for... For, for something new you can try or something new you can watch or listen to. And this week, I have a gem of a YouTube channel to suggest for you. <laughs> and this YouTube channel, I don't know, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. So she only has 131,000 subscribers, so it's not huge. It hasn't blown up, but it's called Kay's Cooking. And this is a British woman who <laughs> who just makes a bunch of different recipes on her channel. And the thing about Kay's cooking is that Kay is a horrible, horrible cook. <laughs> I've, you know, obviously, since it's a YouTube channel, I've never tried anything that she makes, but everything that she makes turns out absolutely terrible looking. Uh, she, her, her cooking methods are unlike anything you've ever seen. Uh, every, you know, she makes like these simple dishes that you wonder like, how could someone possibly mess this up? And she does it in the weirdest, most unorthodox way you can even imagine. Uh, for, for instance, she tries to make fried rice in one episode. It's, it's probably one of the more famous, <laughs> famous videos on her channel. And she doesn't, she pours some like vegetable oil in the pan and then she just pours uncooked rice in there. And... <laughs> She doesn't even cook the rice before she fries it in the in the vegetable oil. And then, so, so there's things like that. She made this one recipe where she was like, today we're going to make tuna tacos, but I'm not going to put them in wraps because I don't really want to. And by wraps, she meant like a tortilla or a, a taco shell. And then really, literally all she did to make these tuna tacos was she heated up a pan. She poured a bunch of mayonnaise and sour cream into the pan, which... I've never heard of anybody just like sauteing things in <laughs> in sour cream and mayonnaise. I've never heard of somebody like cooking sour cream and mayonnaise in a pan, but that's what she did. And then she just dumps a can of tuna in there and mixes it together, heats it up, and she puts that on a plate. And she says, these are our tuna tacos. So there is nothing about that which makes it anything like a taco. Uh, first, you know, Because she acknowledged at the beginning, like, we're not doing shells. We're not doing tortillas because I don't feel like it. <laughs> and then... <laughs> and then there's nothing Mexican about it. There's no, she didn't even put spices in this thing, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then <laughs> one of the best parts about every show is that she has a son named Lee, and Lee's probably like in his mid 20s, and he comes in at the end of every episode. He's never in the episodes when she's cooking, but he comes in at every episode and he tastes what she cooks because she always says, I don't taste what I cook. And I don't know if it's because she knows it's garbage or, or what. But every every episode, Lee, her son, comes in there. 
and tastes the food. And the thing is, he always likes it. He or almost always says it's good. So like the the fried rice episode, obviously you know if you just put uncooked rice in a pan with vegetable oil, it's not gonna get cooked. It just stays hard. So like, Lee eats the fried rice and he's literally crunching. You can hear him crunching it. And he's like, well, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> and so anyway, so the thing is. Everything about Kay's cooking, she's been doing this for years. Everything about Kay's cooking, about that channel, indicates that, like, she's dead. She also, just a little fun fact, she also wears, like, an Iron Maiden shirt in, like, most of her videos, like, this black Iron Maiden shirt. So it's kind of like a cartoon, you know, where the characters just wear the same thing every time. But anyway, I am 90%, no, I'd say I'm like 95% sure. She's being authentic and she's actually cooking these things seriously, trying to to make it the best she can. She's just a horrible cook. But then there's that little hint of doubt in me that thinks she just might be like the best troll in the world. That she just might be taking us all for a ride. And she knows the things she cooks are terrible, but she is not tipping her hand at all. Either way, it makes for some fantastic entertainment. So maybe you're not a very good cook. Watch Kay's cooking to to make yourself feel good about your own abilities because you're probably better than Kay because Kay is awful. And if she is just a master troll and she's doing this all for like the YouTube fame and clout, good for her because she is selling it hard. Uh, I, I absolutely believe that, that that's an authentic channel. So if she's tricking me into doing that, good for her. Good for Kay. So hopefully you go and check out Kay's Cooking on YouTube. It is a hilarious, disgusting, terrifying, a little wholesome in some ways, uh, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious above all other things. Go and check it out. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. For now, that's all the evangelical filth I've got for you. That's a wrap, and that's a frat snap. Next time, I promise I'll do just a little bit better. Later. <laughs>